Hi, guys. We're so glad you're here. Um, my name is Cami Summers, and I'm Jeff's wife, and um, we have been praying for you guys. Uh, the teen years can be challenging, and part of what I like to do, Jeff is the pastor of student ministries. We've been at Perimeter for 12 years, a long time, and um, they're going to put a picture of my family up if you guys have, have not seen it before. Um, Jeff, has, Jeff has been a pastor with student ministry. We've been working with teens forever, for almost 30 years. And we have four kids, and the picture on the left is the one that I want you to remember me by, which is there's Tirza, who's 21, Jace is 18, Lexi is 14, and Zane is 11. But the picture on the right is more real life, right? Whenever we do pictures, I always want to do a real life version because it's just, as, it's just not all pretty and perfect all the time. There are times when it gets, we have to be real. And we really want the church and parent you in particular to be a place where it's safe to be real. And so part of my role at Parent You is to come on, and Jeff will teach you, and he'll teach you good things in the Bible, and, and he has helped me so much as a mother of teenagers. But part of it is just like we have to get on our knees before the Lord, and we have to get on our knees with each other because these years are hard, and they are isolating. You're running kids around, and it's easy not to be in community with your peers or other parents, right? So that's part of our goal for Parent You, and so we're glad you're here. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and start off with by telling you guys a story. I love to go to the beach. I mean, I love the beach. Standing at the, at the beach is like close to God. It's a form of worship for me. Not that I'm a naturalist or any of that. I really believe in good theology. But like just how big the ocean is <laughs> and how big God seems to me. I just get a picture of it at the ocean. So when we went years ago, when we went to go visit... Our friends who lived in Florida, it was a no-brainer. We were going to the beach because it was only an hour away. And they had three kids, and we had four kids. And I was telling everybody to get ready. And my oldest daughter, who you can see is pale, she is glow-in-the-dark white. <laughs> she doesn't tan. She goes to off-white and red and burnt. She hates the beach. I mean, hates it. Like, for me, I love it. Go walk along the beach, feel the sun. She hides underneath umbrellas, bathes in sunscreen, and picks sand out of her swimsuit. She hates the beach. So she was just becoming a teenager at the time, and, and she decided with the seven children that were there, four were mine and three were my friends, that she was going to do a coup. Have you ever had that happen at your house where the oldest decided to do a coup? She got all the kids together and said, we don't want to go to the beach, do we? And all of them looked at her. She was 13, and they were all younger, and they went, no, we don't want to go to the beach. And so she comes to me, and she goes, none of the kids want to go to the beach. And I said, in my particular mom authoritative voice, I don't care. I don't care what you want. Get your sunscreen on and get in the car. And she said, I said, I, said, I don't care. It's not about you. That was my great advice. It's not about you. And you're just leading all these kids to rebellion, and that's not okay, because I'm in charge, so get on your sunscreen and get on your swimsuit and get in the car. And she looked at me, and she's like, so it's all about you? And I was like, yeah, get in the car. <laughs> I mean, when my kids were little, it was my word was the law, right? They were... Two, and playing with knives was bad, and they shouldn't play in the street, and I knew better than they did, and we all agreed that I should be in charge, Jeff, 
as well. But, you know, and so I dealt with her the way I'd always dealt with her, except this time it was totally different. So we get to the beach. But she doesn't just put on her sunscreen and play in the sand. She brings with her a ton of tension and mountains of resentment. And although I had won that war, that battle, I had lost because it was miserable at the beach. And the whole time we're there, I'm getting madder and madder and madder because this is my happy place. And she is stealing my joy. And so I think Jeff thought I might kill her, which was not out of the realm of possibility. So he was like, let's go for a walk. And I was like, okay, we'll go for a walk. And I don't think I inhaled the whole time. When we walk, I tend to talk. Who does she think she is? And why does she think she can do this? And she can't do this. And does she not know how much I've done this? And I've only asked this thing of her once in a while. You know, and, and, and Jeff, and then I inhale. And Jeff's like, my turn to talk. <laughs> and, and he says, would you have talked to me the way you talked to her? And I said, well, no, but you're an adult. And she's just a kid. And she needs to learn about authority and to follow the rules. And I'm in charge anyway. And he's like, you know, is that working? And I was like, well, it should. I'm not doing anything different. I'm just doing what I've always done. She's the one that's changed, not me. And he's like, well, she's not a kid anymore. She's becoming an adult. And maybe not that you're not the authority, but maybe the way you need to talk to her needs to change. And I said, maybe. No, no, I did not want that to be the truth. I wanted to be in charge because I like to be in charge, and and I'm good at it. I know more than they do. And I wanted her to just follow what I wanted and what... I realized in that moment, and part of the reason I'm even sharing this story is that there is a change that happens, right? Between them being little when you're protecting them and you're the authority of all things. You can kiss it and make it better. You can fix the world for them, really, right? When they're little. And when they're teenagers, you can't. They're, they're, they have to have different experiences and you have to communicate them with them in a different way. And what's so hard about that to me, or what was so hard for me, was... It was like we were playing the same game. All the people were the same people, but all of a sudden all the rules had changed and the objective had changed. And it took me a while to get used to that change. Years. So we have a 21-year-old, we have an 18-year-old, we have a 14-year-old, and we have an 11-year-old. And a lot of what we'll talk about will be kind of from our own experiences, but I will tell you that it is a joy, and, and I hope you will come being encouraged. But it is hard, right? It's hard. And so Jeff is going to come and share some thoughts, and then I think you'll have a chance to talk a bit at your tables. Oh, yeah, I take this with me. Well, welcome. Um, that was a fun day at the beach. <laughs> And those things happen to all of us, right? Um, so we're here. This is Parent U. This has been going on for quite a while at Perimeter. It's one of the kind of the best-kept secrets. I think we advertise it quite a bit this time, and we see a lot of you are like, hey, I really want to come to that. So we'll do our best to um, make the space a little bigger next week. 
uh, if you come back. And um, so the, what is the goal of Parent U? Why are we here? Okay, and there's, there's several things that we're trying to accomplish uh, through Parent University. And one of those things is equipping, right? We want to spend some time with you each week equipping you. And we're going to be going through specifically in this series what we're calling foundations, okay? And foundations, if you have listened to the podcast, um, it's on iTunes, and you can get through it to it through the Perimeter website. If you go all the way to the bottom, we're going to cover some of the same material. So what we covered about 10 years ago in starting Parent U. And if you've been to Parent U throughout the years, you've kind of, there's some overlap always in what we're doing because parenting, the different things and the strategies and why we do what we do, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. But hopefully for you, this will be a lot of new material and some things that will really just help you as a foundation. What is the goal? Reminding all of us what the goal is in doing this. And even if there is overlap, I'll tell you, as Cami and I were preparing uh, for this particular series, I was reminded, and I'm the one who wrote all this material, I'm going, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And so I need a reminder as I go through because with some of our older kids, we've kind of figured things out. And then when we have the younger kids, I get, we get lazy. And we stop doing the things we know we're supposed to do. So hopefully this will be a reminder for all of us in that. And as Cammie said, this is a game changer, right? Our kids, uh, things start changing in, in middle school. The parenting styles have to change. And it's almost like someone comes in once we get the parenting thing figured out and they change the rules on us. And we don't realize it until, you know, suddenly we, we don't know how to communicate. Things are, are not working the way that they're supposed to. But another goal of Parent U is not just the equipping. We, we want this to be a time where we build community, where we can come together as what we're calling at Perimeter student families. So when you see that terminology, which is kind of new, I'm the pastor of student families. Student families are any parents who have teenagers, so junior high, high school, and even tweens. You are a part of the student families community. And we don't really have a student families community yet, so we want to start to build on that. So hopefully you will get to know some of the people around your tables. So uh, I will say if you ha- know people who have tweens, I would definitely recommend this to them because this is great when you're in the throes of having teenagers, but it can be even better before you enter that stage to kind of say, hey, this is coming down the pike. I need to get ready for the changes and the things that we need to do. So in order to start that community time, we want to begin with some discussion around your tables, okay? It's not going to be too scary, so we're going to put the questions up here for you, and uh, these questions are, what were your teen years like? Okay, see, a lot of us parent out of what it was like for us. What were my parents like, the way they modeled that for me? I parent the same way, or it can be, as we know, the opposite, right? My parents were this way, so I'm going to go 180 degrees the other direction. And so it can be helpful to talk about that. Um, what was your relationship like with your parents when you were a teen? What was hardest for you when your children were small? Uh, that means when your kids were little and you were learning how to parent, what was most difficult? And then, uh, but what did you like most about it when you're parenting your smaller kids? And then how have you been surprised by your teen or your tween? You're not going to get through all those questions. Pick one or two that you think uh, you want to tackle and spend some time talking around your tables. Hopefully you had some good discussion around your tables. Um, I know that um, all of our experiences, all of our experiences do drive what we do when it comes to parenting, right? They do uh, either a reaction to a lot of our, the way we were parented or our relationship with our parents can drive that. 
So things that were positive in the past and things that were negative. I want to kind of just talk briefly about why, why do we do Parent U anyway? What, why did I start to come and want to come alongside parents? Part of it is that's our job, right, as the church and as a pastor. Equipping parents uh, should make our job in student ministry a lot easier and just to be loving and come alongside you. But really, there, this was all driven partially by a story that happened to me uh, years ago. When Cammie and I first started out in ministry, we were at a small church uh, in a rural area, and there was a, um, we, we would teach the high school, and we had a Sunday school culture there, so we, we did Sunday school class, and we actually had a college Sunday school class with, with about five or six college students, and so we were in this class, and I was going through, I was probably, I was in college, and I, I had my curriculum that I bought at the Christian bookstore, you know, the curriculum that says, say this now, you know, and then the teens will answer, and you will say, and so it was on sex and dating, and so I thought, well, this would be great, so I was going through the material, and I really didn't like, you know, that kind of curriculum, but I was saying, okay, we're going to do this, we're going through it, and about three or four weeks in, one of the, one of the girls We'll call her Cassandra. She came up to me and said, hey, I'm sure you've noticed that I've not been very responsive and, and kind of shook up during this whole thing. And I was like, yes, when I hadn't noticed at all. And, and she was like, you know, this, this material is just really, I, I'd like to meet with you and Cami and talk about this. And I said, sure. So we got together about a week later, and she proceeded to tell me uh, her story. Now, Cassandra grew up in a very small rural environment, so her school was K through 12, public school, okay, and her mom happened to be the principal of that school, so she really didn't date at all because her mom knew everybody and was like, you better stay away from that kid and you better stay away from that kid, and she was just a good kid, like in general, she was one of those students who... um, you know, she obeyed the rules, she was, she just kind of went along, she never really got into trouble, never really had anything to test her faith and what she believed either. It was kind of youth group was the thing to do, it was popular, and, and she just kind of went along through that. Well, her parents, at the end of this time, you know, her, her dad was an elder, uh, her parents were very active in the church, she, she went to church every time the door was open. And then they joyfully, when she graduated, thinking, we have done an amazing job with our daughter, you know, scooped her up and took her with all her belongings to a large state school and dropped her off at the dorm. Now, I see some raised eyebrows already. What do you think is about to happen? So within a couple weeks, she had sex for the first time with a guy that she barely knew drunk at a party within two weeks of being dropped off at school. And I think for a lot of us as parents, this is like a nightmare. And, and a lot of us may relate to that story and say, wow, you know, I was really unprepared for life and what I was facing when I went off to college. Um, but having great parents or parents who love you and care about you, the parents were not doing the things that they needed to do to equip her to live in the world that we live in. Okay? They weren't having these discussions and these conversations uh, while she was at home, so she had to figure it out on her own when she got to school. And so ever since that time, as a youth director I and a youth pastor, I have been in a position to see how parents work and operate, to see how their students react from 
a different perspective because I'm not their parent. Um, and, and then as a parent myself, as I've had teens, my job, I feel like, is to come alongside you and give you information. Each one of us have kids and family systems that are vastly different from each other. And so if I say, oh, this is what works for me, you know, that, that may not work for you. Your kids are totally different than my kids. And so I don't know all the answers. When Cammie and I share, we're sharing our experience. We're sharing our brokenness. But really, I'm coming, uh, my goal in this is to come alongside you and say, have you thought about these things? These are things you need to think about as you parent your kids that you can talk about with your spouse or if you're a single parent, you know, talk about with, with your kids and with your friends and at, come up with strategies that can help you to do this. And so that's what we want to see happen. Um, now, any of our kids, right, who are in full possession of a sin nature could do what happened to Cassandra, right? Whether we equip them or not, that is possible. And so I don't want to say that they're not. But again, her ability to navigate the pressures and temptations that she was facing had not been tested. And that is one of the things that I, that I want to bring up here as we move forward. And so as parents, though, the position that she ended up in is very easy to be in. I think when my, my kids are behaving and they're, they're doing well, it's just super easy for me to kind of coast and not think about, am I really equipping them uh, for being outside the bubble or for being outside from under the protection that I do? Because our job as parents is to work ourselves out of a job and equip our kids to live as Christians in a non-Christian world. That's what our goal is, is to equip our kids to live as Christians in a non-Christian world. Um, so let me, let me pray, and we'll jump in again to more of the meat of the, of the lesson today. Heavenly Father, thank you for each one of these parents. And Lord, we just, we thank you for the amazing uh, gift that children are. And Lord, we ask you to come alongside of us to uh, help us to, to learn, to share our burdens with each other, to um, find community that we can cling to as we go through this stage of life. And Lord, we pray that you would just give us wisdom and discernment and that your grace would abound in our lives as we uh, invest and train our children. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, in parenting through the teen years, not only do our goals change, but our kids are changing too, right? Their hormones are going crazy at this time. They start to, they start to become different kids. Um, they start to become their own person. You know, Madeline Levine is a, is a counselor who's written a great book called Price of Privilege, which I would recommend. And she says, psychologically, what is happening is your kids in the teen years are developing their own sense of self. Okay, that, that they are becoming who they're going to be, and they're making their own decisions, and they're deciding things. And, and, and some of these things make us uncomfortable, right? They're, they're striving for independence. Um, what they believe about life, politics, religion, fashion, all of these things, they're going to start to assert themselves. You know, we've told them or tried to tell them what to wear until then, but now they're going to have real opinions, like whether or not they want to go to the beach, as Cammie said. And and so they're becoming their own person. They are also becoming incredibly self-centered. You may have noticed this about your child. That was one of the things for me, honestly, that as a youth pastor was most shocking. Okay, Because I have interacted with people's teens, like Cammie said, for almost 30 years I've been doing this. And, and I would hear, oh, they're not that bad. Because I'm not getting the full brunt of their selfishness. I'm interacting with them as a person, as an outsider, 
and they have their best behavior hat on for me. But when I had my own children enter the teen years, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is horrendous, okay? Um, and it makes sense in a lot of ways because, you know, they're changing so much. Their bodies are changing. Their hormones are raging. They're the most insecure that they ever have been. They're becoming a person. They don't know who they are. And all of that just starts to be like a magnet, you know, just everything is about me, 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 me. And, you know, I, I liken when our kids are little, it's like this, uh, this idea of, of a, a satellite situation. So imagine if this is us, should be us as parents, okay? So we're like, <clears throat> we're like the earth rotating around, this is God, is the sun. We're like the earth, and our kids should be like the moon, right? So they're rotating, you know, they revolve around us and our faith and our world and interact with us in that way. And our life, if we are a believer, should be revolving around God, right? He should be defining who we are. The orbit of our life should be defined by who God is. And then our children are kind of just latching on to us, and we're training them and teaching them when they're little and so on. Now, when you enter the teen years, it looks more like this, okay? They're the sun, right? They're not a planet. They are the sun. And everything else revolves around that, right? God is a part of their life, but he's not the biggest part. Parents, definitely, we probably could have made the parent one shrink a little bit. Uh, Notice that the friend one starts to grow. So their friends and their peer relationships become even larger and larger in their life and take on more and more significance for them. And so us just being aware that this is how they feel, this is the way it is, and not be so shocked because I want to react very negatively when my kids are super self-centered. In fact, I do. I take it personally. And I shouldn't because it's not personal. It's not about me. Now, we still have an obligation to teach them not to be selfish little boogers, right? So we're going to do that. But then this is the goal, though. The goal is the next one. This is where, ultimately, they need to be revolving around God, right? We want to take them from dependence on us to dependence on God, not just independence. It's actually God dependence is what we're hoping for, right? Now, we don't have that much power, but that's the goal in what we're trying to accomplish. So um, as we move through this, so I like, I like to illustrate this a different way. Let's go through. So these are the stick figures that I've been using for years. And, of course, Mark has uh, made these look amazing this, this time around. So um, you start with a child, right? And he has barriers all around him. Now, you think about what are these barriers that we're dealing with? Okay, we all do this when our kids are little. We put things around them to protect them. Things like don't cross the street. We decide what TV shows they can watch. We decide what friends they can hang out with, right? We pretty much control every aspect of their life, except when they're outside and uh, we, you know, we're busy and not paying attention. You know, they might get into some mischief in the yard. But even then, you know, usually we have things up. So as they get older, we take more of those barriers away. You see the, 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 there's space in between the barriers. And more and more of the world can get into them, get, in, uh, get to them, and they're exposed to more of the world as they get older. Now, this definitely works out this way uh, in the teen years because our kids are not with us so much of the time. More and more, Right. They're, on, they're independent. They're at school several hours a day. Then they're at practices or dance recital or whatever, or dance rehearsal. And so they're, we're just not with them for a very, lo- a very large amount of the time. And so 
you know, as they're growing, we're taking away these barriers. Now, when our child fails, let's say they, they have more and more freedom. When they fail, our temptation is to do what? It's to put in more barriers, right? So that's what we want to do. When they, when they screw up or they mess up, we start to clamp down. Or sometimes just the fear that we have. Getting through the teen years, we start to sense that we're out of control. We don't really know what's going on. And sometimes even if they haven't done anything, we start to put more rules in place around them. And what that can do is often it, they outgrow this, this small space and it leads to rebellion. Okay? More and more as they do this. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up that way. And I've seen this happen many times. So as we're equipping our kids, though, more and more for independence, ultimately the goal is that they have complete independence. That's the goal. One day we want to take them and drop them off. It may not be UGA, but you want to drop them off somewhere, right, and go, you know what, I'm, a, I'm not worried about my child now. I know that they have the equipping and that they have been shepherded through this in a way that they're going to be able to navigate this world. Now, here's the thing. Did you notice something? There, there was a lot of what I put up there, and that is definitely the way we approach parenting in a lot of ways, but there, there's some fallacies in that that I want to point out. Does anybody, did anybody catch it, what the fallacy was in that earlier illustration? David? Yeah. No matter how many barriers you try to put up, there are still ways for everything to Okay, there were still ways for other things to creep in, no matter how many barriers you put up. That's true. Anybody else catch it? Um, well, just for the sake of time, uh, well, you know, one of the things is we get lulled into thinking that the problem is out there. We get lulled into thinking that sin and, and all, it's who they hang out with, it's what they're watching, it's all these influences, all of these out there things are what's affecting our kids when the problem is what's in here. Okay? We lose sight of the fact that there's enough sin in our kids' hearts to damn them to hell forever. Each one of us have that within us. And so we can start losing sight of the real enemy. The real enemy is inside of them. In Matthew 15, it says this, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These will defile a person. What is inside you defiles a person. Um, James 1, 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil when he himself, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it has conceived, when it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the heart is what we're really after, not behavior. If we parent only towards our kids' behavior and not towards their heart, what is going to be the result? We're going to just encourage behaviorism in our kids instead of really going after the real culprit is their heart. And how is it, how do they react when they interact with the world? You see, it's the test. When they interact with the world, when those barriers are taken away and more and more of the world does get to them, how do they respond? That's the proving ground that we want them to be exposed to, okay? And, and the temptation as a parent is to protect them from that instead of exposing them. Okay, there's an amazing story about parenting in 1 Samuel, and you guys are very familiar with this passage, but you probably never thought of it as a parenting passage before, okay? It's 1 Samuel. It's the story of David when he goes to fight Goliath. 
Now, a lot of you will be familiar with this story. So when David, I'll just, set, just to set it up, David has already been anointed king, um, but no one knows that. It's still kind of on the down low. And he is going to visit his brothers, and Goliath is there booming, you know. And they're saying, if someone will fight Goliath, um, you know, the king is going to give them his daughter to marry, and he's going to have all these honors bestowed upon him. And David hears this. And so he goes and finally says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight the king. I mean, I'm going to fight Goliath. And he's meeting with King Saul. And so that's to set this up. So this starting in verse 33, Saul says to David, you are, not, sorry, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear... And he took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he, if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to, save, to, said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, several amazing things from this passage. First thing is, Saul thinks he's just a kid, right? Now, we don't know how old David was. There's been a lot of thoughts about this. Was he 17? Was he 15? You know, if you bar mitzvah, do you think about that? At 13, you were considered a man in Jewish culture, and he's calling him a youth. He's probably a teenager, for sure. We just don't know where he is in that realm. Okay, so Saul is saying, you're a youth. You're going up against a guy who's been fighting since he was a kid, and he's going to, you know, do you have much of a chance? And then he says, so David's response, he says, I used to keep the sheep. Now think about this. So he had responsibility put on him. Big responsibility, right? Keeping the sheep. And uh, he had independence. We know that he used to do this alone, or at least, uh, you know, not with other family members, because when he goes to, to be anointed as king, all his brothers and family are there, but David's out keeping the sheep. It says he's out there. And so they send somebody to get him, remember? So he's, he's got this independence, and he's got this responsibility. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. So he says, when a lion or a bear came and took the sheep. Now, think about this. As a parent, you're going to take your child, your son, and say, all right, I want you to go out and watch the sheep. So when a lion or a bear comes, how are you going to handle that? Most of us would not put our kids in a position where they would face a lion or a bear. We would not even think about that. That's crazy, okay, uh, to think about our kids facing a lion or a bear. But what's even crazier is what does David say? When a lion or a bear came. So it's not like, oh, it was possible, like in the realm of possibility. No, he said that happened. Lions and bears. I went after them. Also crazy. And I would grab them by the beard, and kill them, strike them. Now think about this. What is the beard of a lion? The mane. David is grabbing the mane of a lion. He had a club, and he is beating this lion to death to get the lamb out of his mouth. That's not in most parenting 101 classes, okay? That we're supposed to do this. So he says, He says, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. I have killed both the lion and the bear, and this Philistine will be as one of them. 
Okay, so he's saying, I've had this experience. I have been independent and with huge responsibilities on me. I have learned things from that experience. And now that I'm facing a more, a more serious problem, a more difficult problem, I have the ability to handle that problem because of what I've learned. I have learned from these other things. And notice in, in verse 37 is beautiful. It's not, I've learned to be this amazing warrior. I'm going to do this. No, he says this. David said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he will deliver me from this Philistine. Notice, he's, it's not his independence that he has faith in. It's God has delivered him in the past, and God will deliver him now. We even see farther on in that passage, if you keep reading, at the end of verse 39, he even goes on to talk about the armor. And Saul's trying to put his armor on him, and David said, I cannot go with these because I have not tested them. So he's even fighting in the, the lion and the bear. He's learned some things that when he tries on the armor, it doesn't fit. And he's already making decisions based on his past experience that is helping him to navigate life. Okay? So that is our goal, right? That what we're trying to do as we invest in our kids is to get them to this place. Now let's go back to the stick figures. So our kids, we want them to interact with the world, and they're going to interact with both Christians and non-Christians. And our hope and desire, like those white lines going out, is that they would be an influence, right? That they are going to be salt and light. That they're going to be an encouragement to their Christian friends, and, and they're going to be a witness to their non-Christian friends. That is, that is what our goal is for our kids, right? We want that to happen. But see those little black lines coming down underneath as well? That's what scares us to death. As our kids are interacting with the non-Christian world, or even the Christian world, they're going to be influenced. It's a, it's a two-way street. Our kids aren't just out there doing everything on their own. They're influencing others, sure. But they're also being influenced by everybody that they come in contact with. And this is the teachable moment, okay? How are they responding in this moment when they're being influenced as well? That's the teachable moment where we get an opportunity to to step in to that test and to start teaching them and coaching them. Hey, so this is, you know, this is where the failure happened. How are we going to learn from that? What are we going to do? Um, now, there's several responses our kids can have when they go out into the world. So they can have a response like a force field, okay? And so a lot of our kids operate like this, especially if they're in, in a public school setting. Um, they don't really influence anybody because they, they kind of, they're, they're very solid morally, but they're also very judgmental morally, and they don't really have any influence on anybody, but nobody really influences them. You know, they're just kind of walking through life. Hey, I'm, and I was a lot like this in high school, okay? I was, I was a strong believer. I, was, I would talk about my faith. I wouldn't hang out with, you know, anybody that was not walking the same path I would walk, or I was actually very judgmental. I was a really good Pharisee in high school. Let's just be honest. And so, uh, I don't think I had a lot of influence, but I, I also I didn't let a lot influence me. And so that's, that's not technically the goal, though. It, there is some victories in that. Now, I've also seen a lot of students over the years do what we call a double life, okay? Now, this is a student who they definitely learn at home, hey, this is the way I've been raised. This is what it's called to do. And if the gospel doesn't penetrate their heart, or even if, they, if it does, but they're just feeling they're in a rebellious state, right, they can get to where they live one life at school and one life at home and one life a youth group, and one life in the locker room. I mean, it really, the strata can keep going out in lots of different ways in how they react. Um, but 
you can see this. Uh, sometimes if, you're, if your kids never want to bring their friends home or if they never want to bring their friends to, uh, to church or whatever, it's because they don't want the different worlds to collide, okay? Oh, well, if I bring my, my school friends to church, then, I, you know, I don't know. I'm two different people, so that's going to be difficult to do. And we all, like, I did this as a teen as well. I mean, I can remember the jokes that were shared in the locker rooms and things like that, that as a Christian should not have been partaking in, okay? So we, we've all do this to some degree, but students can definitely do that and fall into this thing. But the goal, again, is that they're living a mature, as a mature and equipped follower of Christ um, who is sharing their faith with the fallen world. And I want to just reiterate that they learn the most through failure, right? We often learn most of the time when we mess up. That's when we learn the most as Christians, as people. We learn through our failures. And so when we try to keep our kids from failing, you know, this is one of the, the ways that we, we kind of stunt their growth in developing this sense of self that we've been talking about. So, how, so a great time to do this is coming alongside them and saying, hey, you didn't make the team this time. What's the appropriate response? What is God trying to teach you in this situation? Or, okay, you failed that class, or you really blew it in this situation. Or that relationship you were in ended poorly. Or you really made a bad choice when you were with your friends. How are we going to, how are we going to, what would, what does the Bible have to say? That's when we bring what the Bible has to bear. That's when we bring our own brokenness to bear in this situation. And when we start to share and teach them about grace uh, as we interact in these different environments. So just to recap, um, our kids are changing. When they enter into the teen years, all the rules change and the way that we parent has to change. Um, and our parenting strategy has to change. We have to move from dependence on us to independence and ultimately to God dependence is the goal that we're shooting for. And as we do this, we focus on the heart and not merely behavior. Um, so, you know, this is a scary place to be when we give our kids this independence and we see them growing into people but it is the place, it is a sweet place as well, um, where we want to come alongside them while they're learning and, uh, and really give them wings to fly And as we gently go from directing to coaching them. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. I'm going to let Cammie come up and close. So our third child, Lexi, is turning 15 this summer, and she's going to start driving. How many in here have taught a driver? Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? If you didn't have gray hair beforehand, now you do. Um, you know, the whole, <laughs> that's why we have to color our hair, ladies, because we taught drivers, right? Um, Jeff, Jeff and I were talking about this, and, and I came kicking and screaming into the teen years. And I was so surprised by it because I really thought I had it together. We'd been in youth ministry for 30 years. Um, not 30 years when we had te- when tears became a teenager, but for a long time, more than a decade. And so I'd been thinking about teenagers for a long time, and I'd been mentoring them and asking them questions. And then when my own children got there, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is not okay. Like, all of a sudden, you're invisible, and you have no voice, and your questions are intrusive. And, and I was totally ill-equipped and ill-prepared for it. And so I think that, you know, even as I'm listening to this again, and I thank you guys that you've come in and you... Jeff and I get to talk about this stuff for weeks and weeks, and Zane now is my youngest, and he's 11, and, 
And I've, I've forgotten so much of this. Like the other day he was having an opinion of something and I was like, oh no, 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 you, ha- you get no opinions yet. There are too many people in this house with opinions. You do not get opinions until somebody moves out and then you can have opinions. <laughs> you know, but Lexi is turning 15 this summer and she'll get her learner's permit. And I hate that. I'm just telling you honest, I hate it. I still have post-teens driving syndrome from when my others learned to drive. And if, last night we were driving back from Charlotte from a conference, and we're driving down the road, and I'm like, ah, ah, you know, and just like, stop it. And I'm like, I just can't even look at the road anymore if I'm not driving, because I, yeah, it's, it's terrifying, right? There are scars from it. Um, I want to keep the keys, both figuratively and literally, because that gives me a sense of control. But I'm not really in control. When I'm in the driver's seat or not, God is the one calling the shots. And Paul Tripp calls these years the age of opportunity. Great book, definitely recommend, but age of opportunity. And that's the thing. If I hold the keys with white knuckles, I will miss the opportunity to see my children grow into adults. And more importantly, I will miss the opportunity for my own faith to grow. That's the thing. As you're taking down these boundaries around your kid and you're losing control, who has to be in control? Okay, you're at church. You can say the right answer. <laughs> God, right? And, and that's a beautiful thing. That's not a terrible thing. God has to get bigger. It's hard to let go because... <laughs> When Jeff was talking about David, I was like, I would be calling protective services, children's protective services for David, right? I mean, like, he was obviously not taking care of him. Where was his mama when the bear came? Like, okay, really? Like, I don't want my kids to be in those situations, so they have to depend on God. But those are the very, de- those are the very situations that grow their dependence on God. And they seem so little to me, but as a Christian... I'm not dropping them into this black hole of adulthood. I am trusting them into the hands of a loving father, God. And he loves my kids more than I do. Even though that's hard to remember and believe, right? I mean, do y'all struggle with that? I do. I forget. He has a plan for them. And it's not necessarily my plan. I will look at my 21-year-old, and where she is today is different than where I would have put her if I had been writing the story. But God is the one writing the story, not me. And ultimately, I want them to look to him, not me, for the answers. I want them to learn to discern his will, not my will. And I have to keep reminding myself that that is the goal because I forget I want to see my teen's faith grow, but I have had to ask myself the question, as we've parented already, some teens, and I don't feel like we're done. They're not done until, what, 27 now is what I heard? Um, But part of what I'm doing in this season is modeling for them what faith looks like. You know, Jace is in the throes of doing college applications, 
and we've done them all. And then there's the rejection, and there's the acceptance, and it's so hard and brutal. And you're just sitting there going, God, why does not every place want him to come there? You know, like, why does not every scholarship want to throw money at him? I would be nice. That would be my plan if I were writing the story, right? But what instead I'm having to do is say, buddy, God's got this. God has the plan. He has not abandoned you. I can't tell you what the plan is. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know God is good, and he is faithful. And if he calls you to go to college, he will provide where and when and how. Because I've seen him do that in my own life. And so that's part of what those conversations are at our house right now. It's going, God, 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 not me. And lots of question marks, very few periods. That's really a big thing in parenting teens, lots of question marks. So we're wrapping up, and I just want to say, sometimes I forget all these things. I forget God is sovereign, that he is omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, always present. I forget those things. And we come to church to help each other remember. And that's why we want this community, because if you're like me, you forget too. And so we need each other. We need each other, the church, to remind each other and to pray for each other. And so we're going to close up our time today with you guys praying for each other. And I don't know how well you know the people at your table. It can be, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. But And you don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. But just spend some time sharing prayer requests for each other and just a few minutes praying. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to Um, to share prayer requests, and then I'll say, hey, we need to be wrapping up and praying, and so praying. But I think that's a huge privilege of the body of Christ. We're not in this alone. We have each other. And at Perimeter, it's such a big church, it's easy to lose that. I mean, I I don't know if you guys have struggled, but sometimes it's hard to feel that connection with people. So we really want this place to be to be that. And so come each week and join us, and we will pray for each other. And there's probably somebody at your table that knows more than we do about whatever you're facing. And so that's the other thing is this is a great place to gather information about different strategies because everybody's doing it different. Like Jeff said, what works for us might not work for you, and. God puts those people at your table. So I'm going to pray a real quick prayer, and then I'm going to let you guys share amongst yourselves. Dear God, we come before you, and we thank you that you are God and that we aren't. And we confess that we need you in every moment of every day as we parent our teens and our children. And we need each other. And yet it's easy to get busy and get distracted and forget those two truths. And so... Lord, I pray that the scripture that was read this morning through Jeff would continue to work in our hearts. And I pray for the people around these tables that you would build communities and you would be glorified through them and that we would see that we are stronger together and that you have given us to each other to encourage. And so I just pray for this time now that these, that you would hear the prayers of your people and that this would be a sweet time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.